I guess it com comes down to the human factor, I guess, um, because what happened after our uh, financial crisis is that I feel like the community came together a little bit. And uh, even if now we can really be close to each other, I think our world is getting much, much smaller in a way because, you know, we are sort of into this together. <music> All right. Good All afternoon. Right. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Where Where are you? Well, I am in Reykjavik, Iceland. Um, still snowing here. <laughs> uh, we're just waiting for the spring to to arrive. It doesn't arrive. <laughs> All right. But as uh, the summer won't come, you'll just skip over that and just like a continuous windy, rainy season will keep going. So you're you're tough over there with the weather. True. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I always said that um, the weather here defines us as people. And I guess in, you know, in this, this time, very weird, weird time that we are actually experiencing now, um, you know, we are, it's very tangible how flexible and adaptable the Islamic nation is, I guess. Well, what's that expression? I can't say it, but there's an expression in Icelandic that's basically like go with the flow that is kind of the mantra over there. Oh yeah, um, it's uh, it's thetarettast, uh, which means uh, it will all sort out somehow. It will, you know, solve, be solved. In, this in, will pass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just kind of, and that's a little bit like with the weather here. You know, it will pass. You know. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of just jumped into chit chat, but I guess we should introduce you a little bit. Um, the, I know you, you know, from your business with Pink Iceland for for many years. I remember when you started it. I feel like it was probably around 2011 in that neighborhood there, and yes. I've always been a big fan of you. I've I've always kind of followed a few Icelandic businesses um, because I've just always been interested in it, and you popped up like quite easily in my path as a wedding photographer. So I've known you for a few years. Um, but before you were doing Pink Iceland, you have quite a bit of experience in tourism in general. So maybe like take us through how you kind of led up to starting Pink Iceland. Yeah, I think, I mean, um, I started at young age to, to work with tourists really uh, and to be a host, if you may say. Um, I used to be a warden in the highlands of Iceland for three summers um, which was, uh, you know, people thought of it as something that girls could not do. <laughs> and I was very, very, you know, passionate about making them, that they were like making them wrong, basically. So I, I applied for it and I ended up being with my ex-girlfriend at the time, um, you know, the warden uh, of Kveravetli, uh, which is the middle of nowhere in Iceland, basically between two glaciers, it's a hot spring area. Um and I guess those three summers taught me a lot. It's probably the best school I've been to, um, just to kind of be independent and, and just figure things out. Um, and from that day, I think I, I like the first day I was there, I just felt something really, really um, inspiring of like welcoming people to my country. Um, I was raised up in Italy, actually, so I, I didn't spend my youth in Iceland uh, you know, just the first years. And so Iceland for me was always my paradise, paradise, so to speak. And uh, I always wanted to come back. And so I did when I was 16 and um, pretty much been here since, you know, with some exceptions of a few months somewhere else. So were, were you doing that, like working in tourism around 2008 when Iceland kind of 
well, the rest of the world too, but especially Iceland kind of imploded with oh, you know, yeah. financial crisis. Yes. Um, I was a marketing manager for a whale watching company at the time. And, um, and I think, I mean, we've tourism in Iceland has gone through a lot of uh, stuff basically. Um, and we had the bank uh, crisis and we had uh, the volcano erupting as well in 2010. <clears throat> so we've had a lot of um, events that actually formed us a little bit and uh, taught us a lot. Um, so this is our new challenge now, I guess, with this <laughs> with the pandemic. Yeah, like that, that's actually kind of another reason I wanted to speak with you. Um, and so without jumping around too much, like we're recording this mid-March um, mm-hmm. 2020, so amidst the apocalypse, um, and you've kind of been through, <clears throat> uh, you know, not a health apocalypse, but a financial apocalypse. So, yes. I mean, it's pretty tricky to compare them, you know, directly, but what are you kind of like thinking back to what you went through in 2008 that you're kind of like drawing a, a little bit of hope from right now in terms of, you know, running your own business now? Um, I guess it com- comes down to the human factor, I guess, um, because what happened after our uh, financial crisis is that I feel like the community came together a little bit. And uh, even if now we can really be close to each other, I think our world is getting much, much smaller in a way because, you know, we are sort of into this together. Um, and I think something happened, sim- like similarly happened, uh, you know, in the financial crisis is that um, our community came together and you saw people going a little bit back to basic, if you may say, uh, meaning that they um, thought about what is most important in life for them and all of those things. Also, we saw uh, a lot of uh, music and design and, you know, a lot of uh, creativity in the society, which I think, you know, starts when you really need it, when you don't have, you know, the wheels of economy, you know, just running, running and running, you know, you have to do something about it. Um, and that's when creativity comes. And I mean, in my mind, travel is actually an act of creativity. Somebody said it, some wise person said it, I think. Um, I'm just picking it up. But I think it's true because, you know, we try to be creative in what we do uh, when we travel. We, we kind of go a little bit out of our comfort zone and, you know, a little bit out of our, our box. So I'm hoping that maybe something similar will happen. And it's very tangible right away, actually, because we are seeing now, I mean, in a different format, because now people cannot meet each other. They cannot go to concerts. They cannot, you know, um, be, be very social in a way, but they're doing it online. You know, uh, I've been attending like 15 concerts in the last week or so, <laughs> you know, just online. Like virtual concerts. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. With yeah. Icelandic, Icelandic musicians. And, you know, there's a lot of like, um, you know, movements, uh, you know, encouraging people to uh, buy local music and, you know, just um, support everything that is local, I guess um yeah so to like draw like to bridge the gap i guess you could say between you know 2008 and now Mm -hmm. um just to kind of speak on weddings in iceland a little bit i mean you could probably point to 2008 as being you know the impetus for iceland becoming this popular destination for weddings so it was kind of a boom for for you i guess and for most businesses that were there 
Um, and you speak about community, and I'm curious, like how how does what's the response of the local community to Iceland becoming this booming destination for weddings? Um, I mean, I think the carrying capacity of a, of a small society is always a little bit sensitive in a way that, uh, I mean, that like both socially and, and environmentally. Um, and of course, I mean, what has been the downside of tourism, you know, if you start with that is, is obviously just, you know, the amount of people coming here um, and to certain areas. And that's something that, um, I mean, authorities uh, need to handle in a way. Um, not only not only uh, the companies, but also the authorities. And it is, I think, it's maybe, I would say, ten years ago that we started to really realize that that tourism is an actual solid industry. Um, because until, I mean, when I was starting in tourism, I had a feeling that I was starting to work in a hobby like you know I was that was not my my job it was more than my hobby to be a host or something and that was the case for a lot of uh you know travel agents and travel uh, just tour operators because I mean you have to think about we have this island that is so uh is filled with natural beauty and you know as Icelanders we we have used we have been used to just traveling around without any you know asking anyone of, per, of a permission for it it's just a very free country in that way um but suddenly we we had an overflow of, of tourists coming and then suddenly you had you know, local people getting a little bit frustrated by um people you know too much people coming basically um and that's when we had to think about putting up some lim- limitations um but I think overall, uh, I mean, maybe because I work in tourism, I, I tend to see the, the positive side of it. But I mean, I think the o- overall view of Icelanders now is that tourism is basically, I mean, it was our savior in a way, you know, after after the, the crisis. And also after, I mean, you cannot forget the, the when the, when Eyjafjallajökull, the glacier, like the volcano under the glacier erupted, I mean, half of the world stopped basically i mean the, you know i had friends in brazil they couldn't go home and you that know was in 2011 right i think it was in 10 yeah yeah it, it was around there because i remember having a wedding nearby it was yeah. our first wedding in iceland and instead of uh yokel Sauron being this beautiful blue yes you know glacier it was covered in black black, black. yeah <laughs> exactly and i mean the we actually have a few really great stories where we had couples that actually were stuck in Iceland uh, and they were just hanging out on a bar, local bar or something, you know, and they fell in love and then they got married with Pink Iceland when they, you know, a few no years, years later. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a few couples like that, actually. Um, so, you know, there's always a, a bright side to everything, I guess. Um, yeah. But I think, I mean, tourism here obviously has played a big, big role in, in just, you know, putting us on the map again, you know, as a country in a way. It's, uh, was it late last year when Wow Air shut down? That I mean, that that had a pretty big effect, I guess, on tourism as well. And and you know, the byproduct of that I guess is fewer destination weddings. So it seems like between that happening and what's happening now, like what what's your vibe? What's your feeling? <laughs> well, I mean, my vibe is still positive in a way that I think we are going through a couple of months, maybe three four months now that are, are going to be tough. Um, I mean, basically, we cannot 
welcome people here because there is, you know, an, pretty much an international travel ban going on. Um, so even if, uh, I mean, I'm not so worried about locally. Uh, I think we will recover from this fairly quickly here in Iceland uh, with a small population. And um, I mean, our healthcare system is is handling it very well. Uh, and so is the, the, you know, the government on the business side as well. So, um, I mean, there are a lot of, um, for example, for us as a company, it's, it's crucial to have some help during these months of, you know, no income, basically. Um, and just recently, uh, just now in mid-March, the government um, is basically offering seven, up to 75% of salaries, um, which is, I mean, it's fantastic. Um, of course, it's not going to save us, you know, in a way, but it's going to help us over a few few months. Um, mm-hmm. And there are a few other, I mean, there is like a child benefit payment and, you know, all these things that are uh, helping people go through these difficult months, I guess. And, yes, uh, the Nordic nations, they, uh, yeah. they take care of you. I mean, what you're saying sounds pretty similar to what's happening here in Sweden, for sure. Yeah. Now, suddenly, people are not so, complaining so much about high taxes, I guess. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, that's what they're for. <laughs> hmm. So, to, all right. So, to, to kind of like reel it in a little bit here, like maybe a wedding photographer in Copenhagen is listening to this and being like, why am I listening mm-hmm. to this person? But <laughs> one of the things I wanted to like speak with you about is like, you're a very experienced wedding professional. You've been, in, you've been in the game for a while and you've done a ton of weddings and you're dealing with, you know, kind of crisis management right now with all, all your clients. So mm-hmm. what are some like takeaways that you're already learning in dealing with this huge wave of cancellations and rescheduling and, and couples in kind of a panic? Because I think there's a lot of things that wedding photographers can, can, you know, do themselves mm-hmm. um, and you know, take ideas from. Yeah. I think um, maybe Number one is to be completely honest with your couples. And um, that goes a long way, I guess, because, you know, the thing is, we don't really know what's going to happen in two months or three months or four months. We Okay, but if you don't mind, can I jump in? Yeah. Like with that, with that comment, I mean, Mm -hmm. how, like, how flexible can you actually be? And what I mean is like, do you, do you like have any any urge to sort of be hard about it or is it pure flexibility? Because at the end of the day, I mean, a lot of people have probably paid you deposits and maybe they're asking for it back. So, Mm -hmm. so I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm curious, like how, how much of a hard ass do you be about it versus, you know, just a human being about it? Yeah. I mean, I guess, uh, obviously we, we, I mean, that's kind of like our business model is actually to be very, very, uh, flexible and very human, (laughs) but, uh, but we also have to, you know, keep our staff employed and, you know, make uh, the company live. And, uh, so what our focus number one is basically to postpone and not to cancel because what happened right away, uh, I literally, I woke up at 3am in the, like in the night when, when uh, the news came from the US, uh, was, was ha- what was happening there. And because 85% of our our guests are actually coming from the US, uh, obviously we were very concerned. And uh, the first thing we did that morning was just to send an email to everyone and tell them like, we know what's going on. And, you know, well, we heard the news and uh, just so you know, we are here for you. And what we did, we basically started the strategy of just talking to all the vendors uh, to all our collaborators and everything, um, just to kind of get them on board of, you know, postponing 
and not canceling mm-hmm. and just kind of saying to them, okay, can you keep the same prices? Can you, I mean, can everyone keep their credit and blah, 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 you know, all these things that are super important for the couple, obviously, and their, their guests. Um, everyone was on board. So I think that is, is like super important that the, that the couple actually know that they are not going to lose their money. So even if they're, I mean, yeah. we are, we are postponing some of the weddings, you know, a full year in the, like, so that's going to happen in some cases. Um, with regards to like the vendors, I mean, photographers, obviously, and filmmakers mm-hmm. listen to this podcast. And I'm not, I don't want a swarm of photographers knocking on your door because that's <laughs> not the point here. But what, what, like, what have you noticed um, in terms of your relationships with photographers and filmmakers that has been positive and negative in this current time? Like what, what, what do you like seeing and what have you not liked to see? Uh, I mean, we like seeing that photographers and videographers are flexible as much as we are, because that's going to be, you know, that's going to make it or break it for the couple, I guess. Um, you know, it's, it's the fact is that people are investing a lot, not on, only money, but also emotionally. And what has happened, you know, in the last few days, I think people are also thinking that suddenly now is not important to to plan a wedding because, you know, all of this is happening outside you know what i mean so people feel always like almost like bad about it and they're like i cannot be like planning something so happy when you know my neighbors are dying or something um and they tend to be you know super emotional about that part so what we are kind of focusing and this is something we you know we appreciate help from you know uh, our collaborators as as photographers um to sort of you know keep on the focus that, you know, we're going to make this happen. It's just going to be a little bit later. <laughs> and, uh, um, and I think it's also the fact because people realize that we're all in this is not, it's just not one type of business that is actually har- harmed is everyone basically. So I guess that's the human part that comes in there. Yeah. I, th- I, I mean, I, maybe it's maybe it's an obvious answer, but I don't think you can act any other way than empathetic at the moment. That's the so. thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How are you, like you have a pretty pretty large team there, right? Like I guess about ten employees that you. Yeah, we are now uh, eight here. The uh, kind of like fully employed, and then we have a lot of contractors, obviously, uh, for each event, and um, yeah. And and it's you running the company um, with your now wife, I guess. And there's one yes. more person, if I yeah, yeah. Hannes. So like, yeah. so as a business owner and the boss, I mean, what this must be a pretty new and interesting experience for you dealing with with your employees. Like, what are some things that that you've learned so far, like in in crisis management with employees? Uh, to keep them calm, <laughs> it's kind of like the the the, the basic <laughs> basic thing, I, I guess. Um, I, I think it comes very handy that we are actually planners because we, like you said, uh, you know, before we are dealing with, you know, crisis all the time, but usually they're just behind the, the scene, like, you know, behind the scene a little bit and nobody knows about it except us. Um, this time everyone knows about it, you know, (laughs) so that's kind of a little bit more of a challenge. And everyone is sort of freaking out. Um, so even if we keep, you know, a calm front, you know, everyone is freaking out anyway. But, um, but I think, I mean, the what is important here is is again to obviously be honest about the situation. And and I mean, we don't know 
how to do this in a way. I mean, we never in in our human life, we have never experienced anything like this exactly. So I guess we are all learning how to deal with this. How far ahead are you looking? And and I'm 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 asking just like a from like a strategic mm-hmm. point of view, like how far ahead are are you planning right now? Are you kind of thinking? And, and I know you don't have the answer because nobody no, does. Yeah. But like in your in your best case scenario, like what are you planning for? So we our strategy is basically we are thinking now until uh, June first, kind of like nothing will happen until June first. Like that's sort of we're just taking all the all the events, all the tours, all the weddings. That were supposed to be happening until then, and we just postponed that right away. Um, because I think no matter, even if Iceland will have been is, is open by the time, I am sure that not you know other countries will be. Mm. And if if you don't mind, could I just jump in there too? Like, are you looking at this at all as an opportunity? And and I ask that you know, any, of course, there's nothing positive to come out of a health crisis. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm no, not no, being. No strange here but you know through the negatives there's going to be a lot of positives that come out from it are you looking at it like an opportunity at all maybe to like grow your team because you're going to be kind of inundated probably with a lot more work yeah that's sort of our challenge now because we are postponing so many weddings um i mean we're already postponing over 30 weddings now um and that means that we will be very busy, you know, in when it then comes, you know, the, the, the high season, uh, because obviously the summer here in Iceland is already our high season and we already have a lot of weddings planned by then. Um, so, yes, I mean, uh, I think there are opportunities in all situations in a way. Again, the positive Pollyanna here. And uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I think um, I think we will be even like adding new uh services to to um to our you know for our guests for example i i had in mind for example not to now to do like a live stream uh you know thing during the ceremonies for example i mean we, we've done it in the past just kind of put one uncle on on skype or something you know just something yeah, yeah. So like simple like that but i'm thinking like more advanced in a way like you could actually just get a videographer to be there and and you know record the whole thing and just have a live uh, feed from from rewedding so even if you don't you know if you have a small group with you you know you could have like 300 people back home in arizona or something you know watching yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was already like th- there you have a new product that we have never really thought about before uh, yeah that's that's you just kind of like sparked a, f- a couple ideas in my head it was like yeah like airbnb <laughs> came from 2008 and all these awesome exactly. things came from 2008 exactly. so maybe this next wave of awesome stuff is co- is just around the corner i'm sure of it actually well look i don't want to take too much of your time um i wanted to just kind of poke your brain a little bit and kind of i don't know it's interesting for me i'm just selfishly interested in what planners are doing because i feel like they're kind of like you know the the right agents to work with if you want to have a a prosperous Mm -hmm. career as a wedding photographer or wedding filmmaker so a few little ideas from you is kind of what we were going for here Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think in in a way we look at ourselves a little bit like the glue in the the whole thing you know it's uh we're connecting all these different uh collaborators together and I mean, we just had had a wedding the other day where we basically had uh, 40, 45 people, like, you know, independent people, workers working with us on that day. And it's, it's such a like 
there's so um I don't know, there's so much that happens in one day for so many people and so many families, you know what I mean? So I think that's yeah. something, something, and even like here in Iceland, um, when we talk about numbers in tourism, I'm sure that they don't think about photographers. They don't think about the florists. They don't think about, I mean, because the wedding industry in Iceland is almost non-existent, to be honest, like on a local level. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of, and that could be also an opportunity in a way. I mean, we've we have not, even touch the local market to be honest i mean we've not seeked to do that and uh so we all we just have destination weddings in iceland for people uh, um, from abroad and vice versa actually we're starting to go with icelanders abroad uh, oh, interesting but you just can't work together in the same in this in your home city <laughs> no exactly so that's kind of i don't know it's um it's just like a cu- cultural thing as well and that's i guess why we also have a lot of um, americans is because they are just used to the culture of i uh, you know a wedding industry um while the you know um their standards and people from 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 scandinavia for example they're just used to do this on their own and you know and their families mm-hmm. so yeah but Okay, now you just now another idea came to my head, so I can't let you go quite yet. No um, generally speaking, and and not not purely from like an Icelandic point of view, but mm-hmm. like in general, mm-hmm. I feel like most photographers are curious how to properly approach a planner. They want to establish a relationship, but oftentimes, you know, if if you're coming out, of, if it's a cold email or a cold call, you'll come in too hot, and you'll like burn the bridge before you even start a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure you've probably had a lot of people kind of approach you and you've probably seen a lot of people try to work with you who co- are coming out of the blue. What approaches do you encourage people to consider when they're trying to start a relationship with a planner? Um, yeah, we, we do get, um, we get do get approached by photographers usually like once a week at least. Uh, so we have a very long list of, uh, we have an Excel list of people that have actually contacted us and, uh, and we rate them. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, I mean, uh, the first thing is obviously the content. I mean, you know, if you, if you, if you put a link to your, to your prof- portfolio or website or whatever it is, um, if it's, it's, if it is good content, obviously that sells us, you know, your, your, um, um, your services. Um, Second is like the sooner we get prices, the better it is because we are sort of like you know the middleman between the couple and 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 then the photographer and everyone else. So like for you know we are maybe talking to like two hundred vendors, uh, and it's so important for to get just pricing right away because that's what you know the couple waits for, um, and just kind of like our description of the packages maybe, um, mm-hmm. and. I mean, I've always felt that it's always better to get like an all-inclusive package in a way that um, so you just know the end, what, what, you know, what the end cost is going to be. So you don't don't have to add like, yeah. oh, yeah, then we had to travel the car, blah, blah, you know, this travel cost and also. Um, so I think, I mean, and then uh, diversity is a bit of a, uh, you know, it's something we we care a lot about, but we are always like trying to do more of Uh fact is that we i mean uh, most of our guests are actually like now we have, even if we have a lgbt focus on our company we have more uh straight weddings now um i mean that's yeah. just just numbers i mean we we are a i guess we didn't, we didn't really but, preface like 
like like we we kind of just jumped into the talk and didn't really preface it that that is kind of like how pink iceland began um yeah but now you've evolved and you know like yeah, yeah. i mean that and that will ne- that will never change i mean uh we founded this company out of passion to do something more for the lgbt people coming to iceland because there was nothing done at the time um we were already doing it as just nice people <laughs> you know to to kind of help out when when whenever you know i don't know a gay reporter would come you know the the tourism terms and board would actually just call me like hey what should i do with him and you know, and then I ended up, you know, going and have a beer with them or something like that. But um, just out of cur- just out of curiosity, like, how did you get kind of like connected or lassoed into that role? Like, how did that happen for you? Well, I mean, I was very involved in the LGBT uh, movement here. I was the president of Reykjavik Pride for seven years. So basically, uh, we managed the, the biggest. Uh, festival of iceland so that was so quite... in a tiny city like Reykjavik, it was easy to stand out to, exactly. you know, after doing those jobs yeah 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 so um yeah so my network was really around that and so it was fairly it sort of made sense for us when we started to uh use that network obviously and um the privilege is to because we are so focused on our target audience that um we did not do any if you may say traditional marketing, because we just aimed for, you know, our target audience directly. And then the rest came with it. And and like we say today, you know, uh, our reputation is our marketing basically. And yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think, you know, you're kind of a unbelievable example of evolving out of your core target market into just the, you know, a, I guess a broader market just through good service mm-hmm. like that. That's hard to do. <laughs> And we still keep our like uh, because our policies are very very clear, and I think that is also something that attracts like people to us because we we basically like on on our front page on our website and on our door when you come to the office it says pretty much like you know as long as you're not queerphobic sexist or racist don't come in you know and all these things and um, and so you're very very you know who whom you're dealing with basically. Uh, so if you don't agree with that type of, you know, uh, policy in a, in a way, um, you don't really contact us. And that's the great. So we have, we joke about this, but it's, it's dead serious, actually, that we have an asshole filter. Um, it's so you can just feel it right away. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's just kind of like, you know, you don't, you don't reach out if you, if you don't, you know, accept, you know, accept us for who we are, basically, um, and vice versa. So. All right. So if anyone's made it this far, 30 minutes, and they still have no idea <laughs> who you are, I hope they go and search for you online. Where where should they start? You can just uh, tag, like put in Pink Iceland, whatever, and you will find us basically on Instagram or, or pinkiceland.is as a website or Facebook or whatever you fancy. So next time, when the apocalypse ends, we should do another podcast where you talk about branding, because yeah. I think that I could probably speak to you for a long time about that because you've done it so brilliantly with Pink Iceland. Thank you. That would be my but pleasure. for today, let's yeah. cut it off because I said 30 minutes and we're just about <laughs> a minute over. That's quite good. But uh, thank you very much for doing this. And we will talk again um, in brighter times. I guess yeah. it's not that dark and dreary. I mean, not yet. It's, as, it's as positive as you want to make it. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. All right, perfect. Well, thank you very much. Thank you too. Bye.
a bed that's really firm. I need something a little softer than that. Rest easy. With the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed, you can both adjust your comfort with your Sleep Number setting. Can it really help me fall asleep faster? Yes, by gently warming your feet. Okay, but can it help keep us asleep? It senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you effortlessly comfortable. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. It's our biggest sale of the year where all beds are on sale. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com.